0: Fabio Vighi is a professor at Cardiff University in the UK. I first encountered his work in a series of articles, and it really started to illuminate some of the potential economic underpinnings of the pandemic and the situations that we find ourselves in. Some of these lead down a path that looks very dystopic, but we also paint a picture of the parallel structures that lead to an optimistic, revolution of the way that we understand money and how we use money to mediate relationship in community this is a very interesting conversation one extremely worthy of at the very least consideration and awareness of some of these huge huge titanic forces that are always at play under the surface of many of the decisions that are being made whether consciously or unconsciously so I encourage you guys to listen with an open mind and share your feedback. But before we get started, a word from our sponsors. First up we have Inside Tracker. So as many of you know, I founded a company called Onnit based upon total human optimization and so many of the tools that we have are beneficial to bring you to an optimal state of performance. But one of the challenges with that is sometimes you need quantification. Sometimes you need to understand what specifically you need to work on and to do that you need some support and one of the best services to come about is called inside tracker our good friend andrew huberman backs them and supports them they really go through a comprehensive analysis of not only your blood work but your lifestyle and everything that's going on to give you a clear view and some recommendations on how to bring you to an optimal state of performance so i encourage you guys to check it out it was founded by a bunch of top leading scientists in aging, genetics, biometrics. They have algorithms that analyze your body's data. There's some really strong science-backed recommendations for your diet, lifestyle changes. It's really customized, bespoke advice and can be really valuable. So, if you're interested, for a limited time you can get 25% off the entire Inside Tracker store. Go to insidetracker.com backslash amp once again inside tracker.com slash amp for 25% off and finally we have on it and what I want to talk to you about with on it today is just how much I've been loving alpha brain instant lately so typically I've just been using alpha brain instant for podcasts and for special events but I've been finding myself realizing that my entire day is better when i take alpha brain and i used to think like oh maybe it's because i had a podcast and that energized me and then i finally realized like well yeah the podcast was great because i had a very focused conversation but it's also the fact that that's what got me taking alpha brain instant that day and that is actually making a significant difference and look i should have probably recognized this a little bit earlier you know i mean shit i was a major part of inventing alpha brain you know like for me not to even really realize what a significant difference it's making for me overall even when i don't have something important it was pretty powerful for me to recognize that this is now something i don't do it every single day but it's not just on days where i have podcasts and recordings and important writing stretches i'm using it more frequently and i'm really enjoying just how it's making me feel overall period just my brain seems to fire better i have more energy that person that texts me i'm more likely to text them back because i have that energy and make those calls that i in between the things i just i just feel more alive more alert it's helping my mood you know in interesting positive ways as well and uh so this is kind of a rediscovery of something for me that i've been familiar with for shit almost 11 years now And just thought I would share that. Also, the Alphabrain Instant flavors are bomb, and there's so many of them now. So keep a lookout for that. Go to Onnit.com slash Aubrey if you're interested in checking out Alphabrain Instant and saving 10% off of everything. Once again, Onnit.com slash Aubrey. And now an uninterrupted podcast with Fabio Vigi. Fabio, good to see you. Good to see you, Aubrey. So we have a very interesting story to tell today. And until I encountered your work, I had really no idea about any aspect of this, this particular way in which we could see some of the different challenges that we're facing right now as a culture. Really no window into this until I started reading your work. And of course, you're not the only one that's you know had their eye on this, for sure. But you just really write about it in a salient way. And the way I would like to start telling the story is to start telling the story with a white paper that was issued by a gigantic mega financial corporation called BlackRock. So for those people who don't know, tell us what BlackRock is. Okay, Black, BlackRock is the, uh, the most powerful asset
1: manager in the world today, together with Vanguard and uh, and um, and another another one, uh, but basically Vanguard and, and BlackRock, you will find them um, as major shareholders of uh, the most the most you know the, the the wealthiest companies in the world. So they really do control trillions of money, trillions of dollars. Um, they manage them. They you know uh, they move them. Basically, um, they are extremely powerful. Also politically, because they are they've they've kind of infiltrated if you allow me to use this term uh Biden's administration they also sit in, in 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 directly in the you know in the control room as it were you know in 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 political terms so um in many ways they represent this notion of stakeholder capitalism which is today's um let's say more um, widely known uh, uh, notion of contemporary capitalism, right? So, where, where, where it is difficult to distinguish between politics and economics, we got, we got mm-hmm. um, a system uh, with uh, revolving doors, we could say, uh, whereby the very powerful people in the financial uh, system do manage to infiltrate politics directly and uh and it's and it's a very opaque area where it's difficult to distinguish you know
0: who's who's uh, uh really in control of things but certainly they uh, blackrock and this is also why just to interrupt quickly this is also why a lot of people have started calling them the fourth branch of, of that's government, right yeah just because of the amount of power that they hold in the financial sector and how so many things revolve around money all the lobbying all of the you know, campaign donations, everything right. that everything that's everything is really moved by an economic engine. That's you right. Know, economics yeah. are really at the center of so much of our culture and the way that things, the way that people either consciously or subconsciously make their decisions, take their actions. Money is at the root of so many of the decisions that are being made, and I think people have a, a pretty good understanding of that. Like, all right, yeah, all right, money is money is one of these forces that if you actually go down into the center it's really at the center of a lot of our of a lot of our lives our own personal lives money actually mediates between relationships between people a lot of the relationships we have are mediated by money except in like the purest friendships and partnerships and forms of community but money is like a real mediating strong force and of course it extends all the way through you know politics and policy right through our institutions right so we often think
1: that Power you know resides in our political institutions, right? We still have that sort of mind frame. We think that that's where power is. I think as a matter of fact, today power is um, above those institutions, right? I mean, politicians are in many ways executing um, orders, to put it very bluntly, that they receive from these um, very powerful financial uh, um, institutions themselves. And and sometimes it's very difficult to say where the you know financial guy stops and where the politician begins. You know, it's 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 a kind of as I said opaque zone where it's difficult to distinguish between the
0: two uh, more and today. It's almost as if money. You know, a lot of people a lot of people try to reduce this to people. You know, like they say, oh right. the elites and the and these people. But it's almost like money has a consciousness. Right, money itself has yeah. a conscious? it's like an entity and that entity itself is per- is potentially the most powerful entity that we have in our world in so, in many ways more powerful than god in in our culture obviously today right? the economy is a sort of religion
1: right it's a sort of religion that we all uh, obey in many ways without even realizing that we do so it's it's a kind of metaphysical entity it's above yeah. us it controls us deep down into our unconscious it's uh, the air we breathe, you know. Um, it's literally, it moves everything around us. It's very difficult, it's very difficult to think of a, a place, subjectivity, something that, that is not touched by that met- metaphysical entity. You know, it's a kind yeah. of what, what philosophers often called in the past a real abstraction. It's abstract. It's, in a sense, a fiction, a narrative. But it's also totally real because it runs our lives completely. And Mm. you say that there's a consciousness there. I would say there's a kind of mechanism that is a sort of automatic subject. It works in, in a kind of automatic way. And it doesn't stop in front of anything ultimately, right? It's a sort of mechanical dynamic that has a mind of its own, right? Almost and 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 uh, and and the thing is we've internalized the categories the values that uh that let's say the universe of of capital as we call it as we can call it you know has brought about and and that's beyond mm. politics, it's beyond religion as we used to know it it's something that is truly i think metaphysical insofar as it covers every aspect of our being, I could say ontological in philosophical terms it it, it kind of coincides yeah. with our being in the world, right It's very difficult to so escape let's it.
0: take this yeah, let's take this example and let's continue with this metaphor and think of money like and we know it's not I think you described it perfectly as this abstraction, a very real abstraction, but let's let's assume that it's like an entity because we understand that from a biological perspective, and an entity, when it's sick. It wants to heal itself mm. right if an entity is sick and the entity is dying and the entity is stressed it is going to do whatever it can to protect and heal itself and blackrock as kind of like let's call it the the cere- the cerebral aspect of this entity <laughs> to a certain degree they identified in august 2019 to get back to where we started right, right. they were like hey Like, the organism that we are the spokesperson for, or at least a spokesperson for, it's fucking sick, and we have a big problem. Right. And so they write this whole white paper, and I've read the white paper. It's all online. We can put it in the show notes. They write a white paper, August 2019, and they say, look, the situation, the economics, money itself, it's sick, and there's a serious problem here, and we need a radical, unique solution in order to solve this problem. So summarize a bit what this white paper really was saying and like what it was pointing to and then what the solution was and then we'll go back in time to how we got there but just let's start there at the paper good i think it's a really good starting point because that paper is what really
1: opened my eyes in a sense right in a sense i I read that paper and i thought okay that's why we have covid today right so we, we will get to covid eventually but i think i think that paper is telling was telling the fed because it was i think meant to be read by the fed in the in the first place but it was practically a paper was that was saying um the economy is about it's about to um to hit the buffers we know it's it's it, the system is about to crash basically uh we've had 10 days of expansion of monetary expansion uh 10 sorry 10 years 10 years, 10 years of monetary expansion which means continuous qe's continuous quantitative easing monetary policies, and quantitative easing means effectively Federal Reserve, the, the American Central Bank, but also other central banks, um, injecting huge amounts of money into the financial sector in order to keep it afloat, and of course keeping the interest rate, the cost of money, near zero, nailed you know,
0: to near zero thereabouts. And that was what it's al- there, these are almost like. These are almost like blood transfusions, right? right? That's it's a like good metaphor. Like an organism that was like almost dying, and it was like more blood transfusions, leaking blood everywhere. But it's like we got to stay alive. We got to stay huge and giant and full of steroids. <laughs> and we need <laughs> more <metaphor>. fucking steroids. <laughs> and we need more blood transfusions just to stay alive. That's, that's a really good metaphor. That's kind of quantitative easy. That's right. That's
1: that's what it is, right? And 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 it started more or less after the uh, the 2008 crash. Uh, in the US it started a little later in Europe and and you know but more or less then so 10 years 10, 11 years of 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 blood transfusion nonstop right this kind of uh, huge amounts of money injected obviously it's about it's about debt ultimately right it's about uh, uh, creating money out of thin air first of all crucial artificial money creation programs artificial money money this is not money that comes from the real economy it's money that is created by a computer in the, in, you know, in the Fed's room. By adding a few zeros to a certain number, you create money, most of it is electronic money. Um, you throw it into the system and in exchange, you get junk securities, toxic assets, government bonds, whatever you want to buy from the financial sector. But the point is that you inject trillions, you inject billions you know, on a weekly basis into the system to keep it afloat. To make sure that there's, there's money, enough money there, cheap money that people can borrow, that big investors can borrow, and they can run the machine, the speculative machine, right? They can create these bubbles. There's always, and 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 the, the economy has functions through this monetary doping, right? What I call monetary doping. You call it blood transfusion. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the same idea. Um, for mm-hmm. you know, it kept itself afloat basically for 10, 11 years until 2019 when things started going wrong again you know this kind of crisis happened quite regularly right 2008 2019 wow. um it was things suddenly were not working any longer simply because that sort of quantitative easing system had sort of reached its internal limit you know they 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 uh, drove the interest rates down to the point that they couldn't lower them any longer
0: they already reached zero so they and could- what that does Yeah, what that does for people and why that's important when you lower interest rates down to zero, it means that money can circulate really easily, seamlessly, quickly. You can borrow. And so there's available access to money, velocity, borrowing, all of that happens really, really fast and easy. So it's like it allows actual more, even though it's not new money creation, it allows access to money in a way that allows money to be loaned and debt to be increased and all of these things to happen as seamlessly as possible. That's so, right. As part of economic stimulus, whenever you wanted to stimulate the economy with more money circulating, the Fed always just lowers, lowers the rates. You need to lower the rates so that money becomes yeah, more cheaper, easily available,
1: and it sustains these debt-leveraged speculations. Right, All these speculations are based on debt. You know, so we get a hyper-indebted system. They need this constant flooding of money, of money printed out of thin air, cheap money, to, to help them continue to expand, right? To inflate the bubbles that we find in the financial sector. And, and this, this, you know, as I said, that was going on for 10 years or so, right? So for a long time. Uh, it came to a point where it wasn't sustainable any longer, and that's what that paper that you mentioned, the BlackRock paper, referred to the fact that that system wasn't sustainable any longer, there was going to be a recession, there was going to be what they call a downturn, a sudden downturn in the um, financial sector with repercussions in the real economy because it's all linked to this you know, uh, huge amount of value creation programs in the financial sector. Um, so they sort of said, look, we've got to do something about this. We've got to make sure that the money that the Fed that the, the Fed throws into the system uh, goes directly to public and private spenders. As and I'm quoting from that paper, more or less. You know, it's they say it's mm-hmm. got to go. The, and they call that strategy going direct, going direct, right? So it's a kind of QE on steroids. You know, it's it's if it's, it's yeah. something that kind of bypasses that 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 uh, 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 creation system and the money simply goes directly into the deposit so they they wanted to link the, the 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 printer of the federal reserve directly to the deposits to the to the accounts of the of the mega banks you know the primary dealers they got they got 24 primary dealers investment banks right they're all investment banks big banks the mega banks um, both in the us and internationally, you know, some of them like Deutsche Bank, uh, PNB, Paribas in Europe, um, Nomura Securities in, in Japan, and so on and so forth. So it's a global system. And they said, look, since this quantitative easing thing is not really working any longer, we lowered the, we, we lowered the, the rates to the point where you know, we cannot make them negative because otherwise there's no point. So we need to get, get the money directly to these people who need them so desperately in order to, in order to continue to speculate and to inflate the bubbles that, in a sense, uh, sustain the whole system, right? So, um, and 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 um, and you know, the, the way, the, you know, that's what they said to the Fed. Uh, but um, you know, the the, the the Bank for International Settlements in June of the same year had already uh, raised the alarm, as it were, right, about about the coming downturn, that this system was not working any longer. And then um, a month after the white paper from the Fed, you get exactly sort of the, the, the crisis that you needed to apply this sort of stimulus, new
0: form of stimulus effectively. And this is this is pretty just to go just to talk about how unique this going direct policy is. This is pretty radical. It is. It's a pretty radical solution because they're saying we need to deliver money directly both to people people themselves and to banks. But there's also there's also a caveat. The problem is if you do that and why this is kind of an unprecedented why doesn't the government just do this willy-nilly? First of all, you have to then justify it to the taxpayers because ultimately you have to say, "Oh, well, we're using this money for a good reason, so you can't have public outrage like, but "Hey, why are you just giving all of this money away?" Right? Like this is going to cause massive inflation. You can't do this. You know, this is this is devaluing all of our money, and you're just giving all of this money away. It it wouldn't make sense to people, you know. So they didn't have a real justification to do this, but they needed it. They called it helicopter money, like there was a fire. Right. They actually refer to it as that. Yeah. Like there's a fire in the forest, and you need to apply water. You just need to bring those helicopters full of water douse the fire with water yeah and but you need a justification for that you need you need people to realize oh shit there's a fire we might burn down so you need a justification for that and but they're also at the same time they're saying well fuck this is also a challenge because if we do this and we don't do it in exactly like the right way then we're going to create massive massive hyperinflation and this is going to be uncontrollable so there's a couple conditions that they that they talk about of like all right we need to go direct give everybody money and also, we need to make sure that that money doesn't actually circulate in a way that causes massive hyperinflation, which is another economic disaster right. for everybody. Right. I think, first of all, we need to say that, yes, the expansion,
1: the, this massive monetary expansion in relation to previous QEs, had already started in September 2019, so that's when the repo market sort of crashed, uh, and they needed to inject money in order to uh, to restore some kind of credibility and 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 make sure that people would lend again, right? Because so, there was a liquidity trap in the in the in the repo market. Maybe we can talk about that uh, in, a, a bit later. But yeah, just real quickly, yeah. what's the what is the repo? The repo, market? Mar- repo stands for uh, reper- repurchase agreement. Um, repurchase agreement, basically, contracts where where investment funds like BlackRock. And and big banks exchange money uh, against collateral. Mm -hmm. So, for example, um, you're you're in desperate need of liquidity because you need to invest in the derivatives market or wherever you want to invest. And, And you can get that liquidity in the repo market in exchange of some um, like security for example right a treasury mostly it's a treasury it's a, it's, a, it's a, you know it's a government treasury and but and 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 the idea is that you repay back that money with some interest within twenty four hours so it's really kind mm-hmm. of immediate liquidity that you can get on the market when you really kind of you really need it quite yep. desperately um, but you have to pay back You know, normally it's overnight, so it's within 24 hours, but it can also be extended, obviously. Um, So there was a problem there because all of a sudden um, rates went up from 2% to 10%. All of a sudden people, um, you know, big banks stopped uh, lending and therefore that could have had a massive contagion over all the other... Uh, speculative markets, right? Because if something breaks down there, then you have the infection, you know, to use that metaphor,
0: extending and spreading through all um, all other it's, markets—it's it's organ and failure. It's, yeah, s- if the blood flow—if the blood can't flow—then organs start to fail. Exactly. If the organs start to fail. The whole organism can start to Brilliant. start to collapse. Yeah. Right. So the this kind of repo it allows things allows blood to circulate. It's like the like the heart that just keeps pumping the blood that's that's in there. It's
1: massive. You're thinking about one two trillion dollars again ex- exchanged on on a daily basis. So it's pretty huge market. It's part of the so-called inter banking lending system which is a kind of shadow banking system but it does you know work at the heart of the of the of, of, of the financial industry as it were so if something goes wrong mm-hmm. there it's a problem you know and it can happen very quickly so that provided the 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 good reason the good excuse if you like um the good reason for the fed to begin this going direct uh strategy and and um, the, the the exact figures are coming out now two years later, um, because the Fed has this agreement where you know, they don't make them public um, straight away. You have to wait two 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 years more or less to know exactly how much money and especially uh, who this money went to so who who was the beneficiary mm-hmm. of these massive going direct sort of types of lending you know which which um which are not supposed to, to, the Fed are not supposed to do because it's not about that, but they do it anyway. Um, obviously, because mm-hmm. they have to, to save the Titanic, you know, from from sinking.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, right. And um, and that's what they did in 2019. And what I want to say is that they expanded the balance, their own balance sheet, of um, um, of about 4.5 trillion within the last quarter of 2019. Right, so if you look mm-hmm. at the graph, it's more or less horizontal, and then it goes up like that, the last quarter. So the balance sheet goes up hugely, which means that they've created all this money and they've invested it, they've inserted it, you know, they've pumped it into the into the financial sector, they've given it to the mega banks, to so the primary dealers, and that sort of, in the attempt to save, to salvage uh, the the you know the market the, the the market from implosion, effectively, and and of course that. Went on and on and on with um in, in 2020 as well uh under pandemic cover, as it were, under pandemic shield, you know, the, because then that was justified.
0: So this, so this gets very right. so this gets very interesting, and this is where this is where obviously someone could say this is a crazy conspiracy right. theory, uh, and we'll talk about we'll talk about conspiracy theories, but ultimately, what ends up happening, whether by serendipity or whether by unconscious behavior you know capitalizing on some unique opportunity that they had but basically this pandemic for whatever reason it happens it starts hitting it starts hitting the world in january february of 2020 people start becoming aware of covid and then all of a sudden the lockdowns start to happen and the lockdowns start to happen which then at that point all of the middle level of the economy, all of the businesses, everybody, all of that gets shut down. And then simultaneously, right after that, stimulus money starts to flow. Right. And this is another another very acute way that m- they were going direct. They were going direct by actually putting money in the pockets of everyday consumers. Stimulus money is just pouring into the economy. But the other condition, which is we can't have this money circulating around to everybody and all of these small businesses inflation will just go right. crazy but the the economy was actually frozen right. it was frozen by it was frozen by lockdown and a bunch of money was dropped in and that both prevented inflation and also allowed all of this additional stimulus to get into the right. economy so it was this very kind of cinderella uh, you know magical magical way in which both of the conditions for the BlackRock paper like two of the conditions at least, were really met. One, there was a good excuse to deliver a bunch of money. And also, there was a way to prevent that money from right. circulating in a way that it would yeah. cause hyperinflation. The
1: problem, the problem would be if, if all that money turns into real demand right, for people to spend, because that real demand would cause inflation to surge very, very quickly. And, and I think that they wanted to avoid, to avoid that. And they, they wanted also to avoid raising rates, because that would be the other problem. the moment you get inflation, you also immediately have the problem of trying to tackling inflation by hiking interest rates, right? Which is exactly the problem we have today. But but what they they what COVID allowed them to do was first of all, I would say, ultimately to to, to, to kick the can down the road, and uh, you know to make sure that those problems, inflation with potential for hyperinflation, and rate hikes were uh, postponed effectively so that they didn't have to think about it then. They could just concentrating, concentrate on replenishing the financial sector, making sure that everything was restored in the financial sector while inflation and the rate hike issue were uh, postponed, as I said. Right? And so uh, this kind yeah. of uh, freezing or the cooling down of the economy prevented it from overheating. And therefore, you know, potentially creating huge inflation issues, um, and also you know, it gave them time to to do what they had to do: to print and print and print and throw all this money, like gallons of water, as you said, uh, on on a fire uh, that is developing, you know, uh, very quickly in a forest, and and that sort of allowed them not so much to solve the problem, but effectively to postpone it, I would say, whilst. Uh, avoiding the worst type of consequences. Um, mostly hyperinflation, I think, right? But, but hyperinflation means devaluation yeah. of, of money, fundamental, of fiat currency, You know, devaluation. And I think that's, that's mm-hmm. more or less what we, we, we are going to have to face um, now and in the future, right? There's, there's no way that we are not going to face the, the issue of money devaluation. Because we've created so much, because our system is so dependent on these artificial money creation programs that the imbalance that they create in the system uh, cannot be solved anymore, right? The system is not supposed to run on money created out of nowhere, out of thin air. The system is supposed to run on money that comes from investment in labor. That's how capitalism as a, you know, as a, as, a, as a social system, as a social bond actually works. You know, this is the kind of question that every child, you know, asks. I, I asked it to my father, I remember, why, if we need all this money, why can't they print it and give it to us so we can spend it and, every, and there's no poverty and everybody's happy, right? You probably asked it yourself. I think every child yep. asks that question. Why do we have to work to get money? Why 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 doesn't the government just print money and give it to us, right? And but obviously my father told me, right? It's yeah, but I would cause inflation. And I thought, what's inflation? I I don't understand. It took me ages to understand what actually that meant. Mm. Uh, the idea being that that, you know, that that's not the the value of money in, in a capitalist system comes from. A specific relationship between money itself and labor so only by investing in labor to produce commodities that are then sold on the market and they realize profits do you create wealth in a capitalist system right and the moment you add or you create money from the outside fictitious money money created you know by a, by a computer or by a printer by a central bank printer, then you immediately. Create some kind of um, imbalance. You undermine, basically, the foundations of a capitalist society,
0: and I think that's what we're doing. But at the same at the same time, what it what it does allow for? It allows for massive wealth creation in the financial As sector. As well. So outside of the outside of the what we could call quote the real economy, yeah. which is people working jobs, you know, making products. And making things, offering services, ways in which their efforts are then rewarded with with money. Instead of that, just typical process, there's this whole world, this whole gigantic world of a financial sector where people are getting extraordinary wealthy by actually leveraging the creation of new money and the speculation of this money. And then we have this massive, massive sector of millionaires, billionaires—you know, people and and corporations that are actually benefiting greatly from this creation of money and it creates this massive you know financial yeah. window of opportunity for a whole new a whole new kind of enterprise and a whole new type of capitalism to take hold which is financial capitalism yeah. And this and these people then have all of this money and of course they do spend it they buy homes they, right. they buy things they they circulate some of the money as well but all of this money is is predicated on the creation of more ever more greater amounts of money and ever greater amounts of speculation and that's why there becomes ultimately a bubble and when people talk about bubbles it's like all of this kind of money that's all leveraged and all indebted and all of this stuff in a bubble that bubble can burst and then all of that starts to collapse into the real economy again of like what is actually there what do we actually have what are we actually doing you know who's actually who's actually
1: producing because things? Because by now the real economy is very much dip, is on the drip, almost of the financial sector. So it very much it's on credit, right? So it all depends on the banks lending money to businesses so that they can invest it and make some sort of profit out of it and create some sort of real wealth. But it depends on on, on, on credit and 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 the credit system. You know the financial system. The is 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 growing. You know, uh, disproportionately in in relation to the real economy. So we, we've got we've got the, the 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 growth of huge financial bubbles, and the contraction of the real economy more and more. That's the disproportion I'm talking about. And that to me, this is not like um, the result of some kind of criminal activity, right? It's not some just some criminal guys who wanted to make more money. There's also that. There's also that aspect, of course, because people will try to do that. Mm-hmm. But it's a systemic. Issue, I think, as far as I'm concerned, it's not because the idea is that the only way in which capitalism can actually work today, more and more, is precisely through this process of financialization. Like we, we cannot rebalance it. We cannot go back. We cannot go back to a, you know the, maybe you know the postwar period where the real economy was was flourishing. Uh, there was more distribution of wealth. Things were functioning differently today. For this system to work, it needs to develop in this disproportionate way, where where all this value is created in the financial sector and less and less in the real economy. So there's an imminent, there's an internal dynamic that is pushing us to live in that way and pushing the system in that direction. And I think that's what, to me, is really crucial, is the idea that um, the real economy is slowly contracting, inevitably, because capital invests less and less in labor, uh, finds labor investment less and less profitable. Uh, why? Yeah. That's the big question for me. And, and the reason, my answer to that is that uh, automation, the process of technological automation, which has, which has been exponential in, in recent years, with the third industrial revolution, microelectronics, digitalization. And now we are going towards the fourth industrial revolution, of course, right? Artificial intelligence. So that process of technological innovation has made more and more labor uh, redundant, more and more labor superfluous, insofar as it's not needed. Machines can do the job of productivity. They can produce much more than, than humans can, right? and therefore capital that is always seeking uh, to cut costs in order to remain competitive, right? individual capitals, end up shedding more labor, eliminating more labor than what they can reabsorb into the system. And that is what ultimately determines the contraction of the real economy and the compensatory mechanism whereby we need to inflate the financial sector more and more. To retain, to create the sort of value that the system needs in order to reproduce itself, that the societies need in order to reproduce themselves. So my my issue is is it's is not just there's some bad people doing some very bad things in the financial sector. Yes, there are, you know, the the Fed and the, 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 the BlackRock guy. They're all, you know, bad people in, in many ways, but the system is kind of grinding to a halt by itself because it's increasingly Mm -hmm. unable to produce wealth through its original recipe, through its fundamental recipe, which is very simple. It's money that creates more money through labor, through the mediation of labor. Labor is the mediator for money to increase itself.
0: And also it it allows it allows the distribution of this right. wealth instead of it right. when everything is automated then you have a corporation you know giant corporation google apple you know amazon all of these things which do employ people let's 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 say they they obviously still do but the the delta the difference between how much money right. is actually going out to the workers versus how much money is being accumulated to the kind of mega mega billionaires and the mega billionaire trillionaire corporations that we have there's there becomes an ever-increasing gap where the super wealthy are getting super wealthier but the people who are working are actually not yeah. actually getting that access to that money so it's helpful for a very 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 minute portion right. good, of the of good the point world.
1: just just an example apple has a market cap of 2.8 trillion dollar dollars, right, it's huge market cap, so that, that's, the, that, that's the value it has on the market, uh, and it employs 100,000 people, right, there's a huge disproportion between the labor involved in the production, you know, and the, the value of that company, there's a huge disproportion, and that is not sustainable, you know, just look at that, it's not sustainable, because how is society supposed to reproduce itself? if so if so few people are, are 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 working you know or or are working in in terms of producing value, right um and they're working not as precarious workers because precarious workers don't produce much value for society. you know they need to be they need to be paid good wages in order for that value to be uh created for society, but less and less of that happens um, because the labor um commodity, as it were. It's not as profitable as it used to be. The reason for that is because machines have have been replacing labor more and more. And there's nothing we can do about it. Like, this is really nothing we can do. I don't think there's nothing we can do about it because, you know, it's in the nature of of our economic system to try and cut costs in order to be competitive. um, And the best way they can do that today is by employing um, machines instead of, uh, instead of humans to work, you know, to produce. So the, the productivity potential yeah. is huge with technology, huge productivity potential. But that also means that there's a lot of people who, who are out of the system or who don't really contribute to it. And and therefore, there's a, there's a problem of surplus, a surplus humanity that somewhat, you know, it's not really producing any longer. Um, it's not receiving real wages is not really receiving the amount of money they need to reproduce themselves socially and therefore what to what to do with them right
0: this is really the problem of the future for 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 a capitalist society okay so to summarize some of the things that we've been talking about one of the things that we were mentioning is you know you mentioned that there's you know potentially bad actors in in the system right and the and the bad actors are actually manipulating these strings however for them they probably don't think they're bad actors because they're such a product of the machine itself and all they know is the is the machine all they know is the economic engine that they've created and then when they look at what happens if they stop this economic engine they look at it and they say it's a fucking disaster so we just have to keep this going at all costs so they have all of the justification in order to do so it's almost like a a nuclear reactor right like if they shut it down, then the nuclear the nuclear reactor cores might overheat. And then all of a sudden, there's going to be all this spilling of radioactive energy. So instead of keeping this kind of toxic nuclear plant going, uh, you know, th- so they're keeping the toxic nuclear plant going, but they realize, well, like, fuck, if we stop, <laughs> it's a disaster, right? So that's probably the justification that they have in their mind. But what they're missing is, a, is it's really like a poverty of imagination. And the poverty of imagination is like, well... We've run this game for a long time. The game has worked. You know, it's been the best economic system that we could create. We ran it for a long time. Technological advances, the way that the system works, it's just coming up against its logical ends. And now we need to be creative and come up with another solution. But in order for people to think about that, well, first of all, they have to have imagination. Second of all, they would have to trust people to be able to innovate because the solution isn't something that could come top down. They would have to trust that innovation would emerge. And we'll talk a little bit more about some ways in in which we can imagine this other system that likely is inevitable to emerge anyways. And all of these transfusions and all of these steroid shots that they're doing really won't ultimately work, but it's just kind of pushing the, it's pushing the ball down the line. Right. So, so that's kind of the position that they find themselves in, but let's go back real quick to, I want to summarize some of the things that you had written, um, So we talked about they needed to go direct. BlackRock needed to go direct. They needed to deliver money directly into the economy. And then also they needed to prevent that from circulating through the real economy to prevent inflation. So you write, with lockdowns came the suspension of business transactions, which drained the demand for credit and stopped the contagion contagion of inflation. In other words, restructuring the financial architecture through extraordinary monetary policy was contingent on the economy's engine being turned off had the enormous mass of liquidity pumped into the financial sector reached transactions on the ground, a monetary tsunami with catastrophic consequences would have been unleashed. So again, we get to this very unique situation. Money needs to be pumped in and also certain aspects of the way that that money circulates need to be frozen. For whatever reason, COVID provided both of those criteria to be met. And then so what ends up happening? So what happens? You write this as well as anticipated it has allowed the fed to reorganize the financial sector by printing a continuous stream of billions of dollars out of thin air actually trillions and that's what's that's what's happened mm. it has accelerated the extinction of small and medium sized companies allowing major groups to monopolize trade flows it has further depressed labor wages and facilitated significant capital savings through smart working which is particularly smart for those who implement it <laughs> it, is, it has enabled the growth of e-commerce the explosion of big tech and the proliferation of the pharma dollar, which also includes the much-disparaged plastic industry now producing millions of new face masks and gloves every week, many of which end up in the oceans. And you say this as well. We could talk about this (laughs) to the delight of the green new dealers. In 2020 alone, the wealth of the planet's 2,200 or so billionaires grew by 1.9 trillion, an increase without historical precedent. All of this thanks to a pathogen that obviously we know the story about what happened with covid so lots of conditions were met and then a lot of result happened from those conditions being met which really meant that the uber wealthy absorbed so much more of the capital that was actually went direct all of this helicopter money was meant to go to the ground it was meant to infiltrate in through the whole ecosystem but it went just right back up to these massive storage tanks the massive 2200 storage tanks of money That instead of actually putting out the fire, now we just have even larger storage tanks of money, which are these, you know, twenty-two hundred or so, and and more. It's not, it's not like exactly that. It's just more wealth is accumulated into the super, super wealthy, and less to the actual ground that needs the replenishment of the topsoil and the, you know, mycological ecosystem. Everything that that needs to actually happen didn't really happen in a productive way now just the uber wealthy got more uber wealthy and that's obviously so even if so let's say that those uber wealthy have the ability through BlackRock and through other things to manipulate the current system it doesn't have to be a conspiracy they could be saying look we got to save the economy and the unconscious desire for them to continue to accumulate wealth which we all have We all have an unconscious desire, whether however good we are, there's a part of us that wants to grow and become as big as we individually possibly can. It's the nature of our separate self. It's the nature of our ego that wants to become as powerful, wealthy, safe as possible. So unconsciously, you know, this whole process happened. And and that's another thing that you say beautifully. If there is an unconscious conspiracy and manipulation are inevitable. All that is required is that there's unconscious and subconscious desires by people who have great resources to create solutions that help them accumulate more resources. Right. It doesn't have to be a
1: nefarious plan no. by the elites. I think we need to understand that the system, fundamentally, since it started a few, a few hundred years ago, it started on a very specific premise. The premise is money, Creating more money. Right? This is the fundamental principle of of our economic system and of our world, you know, more generally, of our universe as we know it. You know, it's it's based on a very simple idea: money that creates more money. And how does it do it? You know, how did it come about? Thanks to people, you know, free workers, so-called free workers, right? The liberation of the slaves, of the serfs, suddenly they were free, but free to do what? free to sell their labor power, and that's the mediator that allows money to become more money in a capitalist system. So that's the drive. I, you know, th- this is a kind of a desire but also a- an unconscious drive right? That, that drives everything that we know. It creates all the categories that, that we know, all the values that we know. When you think of the good values of our society, democracy, when you think of uh, even solidarity in a certain way, even other values, right? Obviously, the market um, and so on. These are all values that have emerged in modernity, from that moment on when we went from a feudal society um, to a capitalist society, when when sort of you know modern capitalist modernity was invented, and then it took time for it to become dominant obviously right because for a while there was an overlap of feudal feudal system with capitalist with new modern capitalist system but then through especially through the industrial revolutions first industrial revolution in the in the 19th, beginning of the 19th century with the steam engine second industrial revolution particularly with the Fordist system in the of uh, uh, beginning of the 20th, 20th century and then third Industrial revolution, those categories which are capitalist categories are more and more internalized and become more and more dominant they become who we are fundamentally right this is something that we, ne- we should never forget it's not just bad guys versus good guys in a sense we're all driven by the same values right no, no matter how good we are ultimately there's that desire or drive that is is linked, connected with the systemic drive. And the systemic drive is, is not about the distribution of wealth. Fundamentally, it's about the creation of more money through investment. You invest money in labor, originally, in order to create more money. And then there are some um, collateral sort of events, and some of them are good, like the distribution, the trickling down of money, whatever. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, but these are kind of epiphenomena. You know, they're not really what capitalism is about. Capitalism is a blind, anonymous drive which has to do with the creation of money, right? That's it. And then all the rest comes as a bonus almost, right? Yes. Yeah, sometimes we get Democratic organization, distribution, blah blah blah. We've had it; it failed. Then we've had neoliberalism. We now we are in a phase where the, the 0.01% owns everything, and the others are, you know, struggling. Um, you know, I'm simplifying a little, but you know, this kind of disproportionate. But at the heart of it all, there is that fundamental recipe, that fundamental drive, which which has to do with. The, the, the multiplication of money fundamentally, right? And that's why it works mm-hmm. also in the financial industry because it's the same drive. It's only that originally it has to do with the mediation of labor, right? So it's, it's money, labor, capital. Whereas in the, in the financial sector, labor doesn't, doesn't need to exist. It's just money that creates money by itself. It's like the self-creation of money, the speculative creation of money, right? Without labor. And I think that's what we're having the problems, because we are eliminating the substance of capitalism itself. Labour is, like it or not, the substance of capitalist societies. If we take that away, yeah. then you really have a problem. You cannot have a capitalist society sustained only by the financial system. It's impossible. And they know that. They know that very well, that they cannot get rid of, completely, of labour. Right? They cannot, otherwise, th- th- otherwise it's not capitalism any longer. It becomes some kind of tyranny. It becomes some sort of, you know, some sort of uh, uh, um, totalitarian system where very few people really are in charge of the monetary flow and all the others are reduced to slaves again. So we go back to a kind of new
0: feudal uh, world, right? which is also similar it's also similar to how the communist regimes of the of the past played out where the state actually and state you know state appointed oligarchs in certain situations controlled all of the wealth and then it was really it was really a different form of feudalism where there was a lot of people working very hard having very little and then state controlled power that tried to decide and make all of the decisions and figure everything out and that failed. So then, capitalism was like, "All right, this is a much better solution, and it does work. It works for creativity. It allows for infinite flexibility, and also capitalizes on the collective intelligence rather than centralized intelligence." That's right. And so it worked for a long time. And then all of a sudden, though, be- but just because of natural forces, the forces of technology, yeah. that system no longer no longer is serving. And so people in the financial sector, they're smart, and they're recognizing that this game—they're not dumb. No. You know, that's one of all the things, of all the insults we can lob at them. It's not that they're dumb, right? Like that, that's not the case. You can say that about a lot of different areas. Politics, you can be like, that's <laughs> kind of dumb. But ultimately, ultimately in the financial sector, they're, they're smart. So then you have people like, you know, <clears throat> like Klaus and and the World Economic Forum. They start putting out these very strange, very strange cryptic ideas about scary, yeah. about the way that things, that the great reset, all the way things are going to go for it. You will own nothing and happy. you will be happy. What the yeah. fuck are they even talking <laughs> yeah, about? Yeah, th- that's wonderful. Like, yeah. Wh- wh- how does that even? How does that even make sense, right? But in some ways, if you get into their mind and you think, oh shit, they know that the system cannot sustain itself any longer. So what is their solution? Well, all they know is control. All they know is control. Yeah. That's all they know. They've controlled their companies. They've controlled their businesses. They have this inflated idea of their own mind and their own brain power. And they think, you know what? if we actually controlled everything and kept it away from the stupid people, you know, then this mindset, like we're the smart ones, we kept it away from the stupid people, then we could control everything completely. And if we could control everything completely, it would all work. Well, it doesn't fucking work that way. It can't work. (laughs) (laughs) But you can get in the mindset of them thinking like, what we need is more control. And so this this becomes this kind of slippery slope of justification towards a totalitarian dystopia and that's something that you know really you write about with great trepidation of where this could potentially lead with central bank digital currency so take us down this trajectory of dystopia that you know really you're afraid that we may be navigating towards, and then we'll talk about the ways to get off that bus yeah. and try to create a new system. Right, I think that's the trajectory. You know, that's the
1: inevitable trajectory. If we follow the capitalist line, you know, the capitalist drive, in in the current situation where more and more labor becomes redundant, and there's no need for labor for that, for, you know, for mass labor any longer, um, we we end up with a lot of the population being. Um, superfluous, and they need some, somehow to be controlled and given some kind of reason to exist, right? Unle- unless unless they they, they they get rid of us, you know. They, they, <laughs> they, 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 but there's other solutions we don't want to even think about, right? The, 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 the eugenetics, sure. etc. Eugenics, rather, uh, and so on. But I think the 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 WEF the WEF um, advert is a wonderful one. Really, and it's it's unfortunate for them that they, they they put it out. They got rid of it straight away, almost. You know, after people started talking about it. Mm-hmm. But uh, you you own nothing, and you'll be happy. It's a wonderful one because it really tells us what what the reset is about, right? The reset they're trying to implement, and that is they know very well the workers, you know, workers will be poorer and poorer. So uh, the only way in which in which they will be able to continue to exist is by borrowing more and more and become es- enslaved to a monetary system controlled from above fundamentally right and um, I think that's why they are talking so um, they're so excited about the central bank digital currencies because because that's one way in which they could really control the monetary flow and control um, whatever money one has in one one's bank account, you know, they can actually give the money to the people who are out of work. You know, think about all these um, universal benefit, you know, uh, UBIs programs for people who are unemployed, etc. I think those will be the first ones to to on the receiving end of this kind of monetary slavery program that it's in the making in a way, right? Um, and 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 CBDCs are the perfect tool to implement it. Because with central bank digital currencies, they've got the. Te- they say that they say we have the technology to implement this and to control people, to control what people spend, the amount of money that they have in the bank account. We are giving them the money, and therefore we have the right to control everything they do. Um, you know, in 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 a post-work society, right? In a post-labor society, this for them seems to be the natural solution. People will rent, will not own anything. They w- they might be able to rent if they behave. If they do the things that we tell them to do right if they don't consume in a certain way, if you pay the taxes you know taxes in a certain way, if they don't so everything will be will be about controlling people and i think it will it will also be about some kind of humanitarian justification for that right they can't just impose it by brute force they'll have to find some sort of humanitarian justification, whether it's climate change or something else, or some kind of emergency. That's why I call it emergency capitalism, because it's all based on that justification. They need to justify why we can't spend, why we need to stay at home, why we can't go to work, why you know we have to consume in a certain way, why we have to be careful. So, um, to me, that's the direction. It's it's very clear to me that that's the way we're going because we are we are kind of exiting the work society of the past. We are entering another type of capitalism which is very dark, very very dark, um, and that it's prone to implosions. Maybe even a market crash could be the beginning for th- this new type of uh, monetary uh, slavery that 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 in a sense is in the making, uh, based on. On mass unemployment or mass underemployment, of course, right? I mean, this is what mm-hmm. what it what it what we have to deal with here, ultimately, with CBDCs as well. They are the solution for them to this inevitable, I think, drive towards a post-work capitalist society, where you know. Um, so,
0: in this in this paradigm, in this paradigm, just so people are clear, so there's a central bank digital currency, which right. is which is not too dissimilar from the currency that we currently have, but the it's the central bank just absolutely having full autonomy over the entire money money supply, yeah. and then where it gets really nefarious is we've already seen the creation of vaccine passports, which a lot of people talk about is the kind of the entryway the the door that's opening towards a digital ID, and this is something that's already occurring in China with social credit scores. And the ability for every single person to have a digital identification and then based upon their actions, whether the government likes the actions or doesn't like the actions, they can control the population. So the control that already exists in another part of the world, that formula could actually start to creep yeah. in to the West and it could creep into the West through vaccine passports, then becoming digital IDs and then extending beyond vaccination into other policies like what food you eat, what how much you drive, what decisions you make, also also dystopian in a dystopian world, also what comments you make, right. what things you say Access on social media, internet. what what protests you, yeah, what protests you, and of course if they linked it to the phone, then you would know, and you had to leave right. it on, then they would know where you are, whether you were participating in something, and so you get this potenti- potentiality of absolute control and this total dystopia i mean it becomes very orwellian orwellian. at this point now there was a lot of people who were saying oh vaccine passports it's all a fucking conspiracy theory it's never gonna well it's already started to happen it's already started to happen so these next steps can happen it's not that they can't happen we don't know if they will who knows but like that that way in which it could happen is fucking terrifying because that is this dystopia of total control where nobody actually has any any leverage anymore? We don't have actually our own economic wealth and power. It's all controlled and mediated by a single authoritarian, right. totalitarian source. I think, yeah, with especially with vaccine passport, people don't realize right the
1: potential they have. It's the first step potentially, right? It's the first step towards this kind of digitalization of life uh, that will become more and more a way of controlling us. It, it, it's not necessarily the end in itself. It's only the beginning of the installation of this. Digital infrastructure, which is, will be more and more linked to our identities and therefore will be able to control us um, more and more completely. So it's, it's only opening the door to this new world right, that, that awaits us out there, the vaccine passports. And it's a huge step mm. to convince people that they need it. You know, It's a huge victory for them already regardless of whether they, they will continue or not in the, you know, this year or they will be dismissed and whatever, they're already there. They've already broken that taboo, as it were, right? So they will easily continue. They can, they can, they can force us to use them again. For, you know, There's ne- another pandemic or another uh, emergency. Here we are. We've already done it in the past. We can do it again. And that's, that allows them to gain ground on what they want to do.
0: Yeah. Once they have access to this technology, then the the fear is like, if you have access to more control, the natural inclination when you're in the myth of control is that if you have access to control, you're going to use it. And every time that the government has been granted access or any large body really has been granted access to power and control, we've typically seen them utilize and wield this power and control, which is also why all of the founding documents of our nation and all of so many of the great thinkers warned against the natural inclination of tyranny mm. to go to ever, ever greater levels of control. And we're not saying that that's for sure what's happening no. or that's that's the only way, but it's but it becomes a possibility. And with the possibility, there comes it danger. It becomes
1: a very real possibility. They will encounter huge problems. It's not an easy one. The infrastructure is huge in itself. You know, they have to wait for the right moment to implement it. Um, because people, you know, at some point, they will sort of realize that it's that it's not necessary, that you don't have to do that. So they need the right emergency, the right crisis, maybe a huge market crash, much worse than 2008, reducing people to poverty, and therefore forcing people to accept these conditions. You know, it could happen that way. But, but there has to be uh, the right timing. You know, they have to have the right moment. They have to do it at the right moment when the infrastructure is ready, you know, it's it's a huge infrastructure. It's not easy for central banks to control everybody's bank account, even in technological terms, right? It's not that easy. So it's something in the making, but we have to be aware that that's the trajectory.
0: That's where we're going. Little and if, by they little. Had, if they had artificial intelligence, oh, yes, you know, that was controlled, then all of a sudden it gets right. way easier. Yeah. It gets way easier to make these controls. They pipe in the directives into an artificial intelligence machine, and then all of a sudden it's actually very precise yeah. exactly how they're able to control and how they're able to maneuver the infrastructure. So that's another potential danger. It's so
1: important to keep some kind of critical awareness, right? to be aware of these things and, 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 and to reject certain forms of, 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 uh, of blackmail even, like you know, moral blackmail, emotional blackmail. We shouldn't, we shouldn't you know, give in to this. Uh, we should keep some kind mm-hmm. of autonomy critical autonomy somehow, and we should some, some form some sort of resistance to this right i mean it 's quite simple without some sort of disruption or resistance to resistance to this there 's no emancipation for us you know we 're going to be going follow yeah. follow in line more and more to to, to what we 're told to do um so that 's what 's really been frustrating for me over the last two years i have to say right the, the you know the ease with which they 've done what they wanted to do and people have just followed and i know you talked about this before with other with
0: uh, professor desmate for example Mathias Mathias Desmet Desmet. And, yeah. so uh, i don't want to go back there but well, the way that you talk about the way that you talk about though this though is powerful because you're talking about how as soon as you start asking these questions you're labeled as a conspiracy right. theorist and then as soon as you're labeled as a conspiracy theorist then all of a sudden all of the things that you're all of the questions that you're asking can be discarded exactly and and you say the ep- the epistemology of conspiracy theory drives much of today's propaganda as a rhetoric of exclusion the a priori rejection of paranoid thinking leaves the official narrative as the sole bearer of truth irrespective of empirical verification thank you for that and so this is this is <laughs> yeah this is coming across in so many different ways whether you're talking about it from a medical perspective all right what is the virtue of vaccination versus non-vaccination what's the virtue of mass versus non-mass there's this idea that there's either you're either you either follow science and the truth or you're a conspiracy right. theorist and if you're a conspiracy theorist you're also some right-wing fascist exactly, blah 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 that. they put all of these other things to actually dehumanize and desensitize people to actually the critical thinking which is essential yeah essential for for science itself is
1: essential that's the blackmail i was referring to right just i'm not going to give in to that blackmail I don't care if they call me a conspiracy theorist. I want to keep open the possibility of doubt and critique without being labeled uh, a conspiracy theorist, without being excluded for, from public too late. debate. Too I know late. it's too late. We've already, we've already
0: been labeled. <laughs> I know it's
1: too late, but at least we're here talking about it, right? So there's still, there's still yeah, some space. Sure. And we need to make the most of it. Um, but yeah, the label will be there. It's an easy game for them, right? They come up with some, you know... It's 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 a way of generalizing of 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 of, of especially it's a way of um, making sure that there are there are no disagreements with regard to the official line. Right, everybody should follow the official line. Everybody else who has doubts, who wants to express doubts, is immediately disqualified by being called a conspiracy theorist, right? Or, and, and all the list yeah. of adjectives and, 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 you know, attributions that go along with it that you have mentioned, because all of a sudden you become a right-wing extremist. You, all, of a, all of a sudden you become a racist. All of a, all of a sudden you become a sexist. All of a sudden you become some kind of, you know, there's so many of them, right? Crazier and crazier. And, and just because you've raised yeah. your hand and said, look, wait a second, let's talk about it again. I have some doubts. Tell me this. Tell me. That. So you you cannot even have doubts any longer. That's the big problem today for for critical thinking.
0: Yeah. And also, and just to be fair, on the other side, one of the interesting things is is that everybody who <clears throat> tends to be more liberal, or let's say, supports vaccination, you know, you can have your own beliefs about vaccination. You could like it. All of a the sudden, they're being labeled and they're being slumped into a category. Oh, this is a communist. These are these are you know communists that are shills for you know the the for china or something like that or they're they're a sheep or they're this other this other category so we're creating this system in which nobody's really talking Mm. to each other everybody is just trying to ad hominem attack the individual rather than take the dialogue itself this kind of hegelian dialectic this socratic you know review of what is what is actually happening let's all just talk about this let's see what might be happening? Let's look at all the facts. Let's look at the timelines. Let's see what everything that's going on, and let's let's talk about it, and let's see if if we wanna, if maybe we need to speak yeah. as a voice of the people and as a voice collectively to say, no, I, I don't think we want to go this way. I think we need to go this way, and that's how a democracy, a democracy itself, is. But they supposed don't want to work. that. Is like the people they, speak. They want to
1: polarize.
0: Right. To, you know, they want people to fight people. You know, because they want a polarized situation.
1: Um. Because that's the best way for them to rule, right? When this divide et impera, divide and rule. You know, this is what cre- they've created very, very well with uh, with the Novax, the anti-vax, and the pro-vax. You know, they've created two categories that are the, the fighting each other and allowing them to continue with whatever they're doing. Um, they created a perfect scapegoat, you know, in, in the in the anti-vax, right, or whatever. They label everybody as an anti-vax who has doubts. And if, even even great scientists, you know, and 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 Nobel Prize winners, even them are labeled as anti-vax. So they, they they polarize public opinion, they prevent debate from taking place. We've 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 seen that in in mainstream media, the way they've operated, you know. Um so it's very hard not to think that there's some kind of planning behind this, right? Without without you know, wanting to be a conspiracy theorist, but a, a degree of planning is necessary. Um, or maybe serendipity, as you said, right? But it, it becomes more and more difficult to believe it because they've created a situation that suits them perfectly, right? They, they you know, they, they can blame the, the yeah. antivax, even if, what 70% of the population is now vaccinated, right? But there's still, it, in many countries, they still
0: keep, Keep on blaming those who haven't taken the vaccine for the infections and everything. I think you said. I think you said it really well. You said this is the first time in history that right. uh, the the failure the failure of a treatment is blamed on the people who don't take the <laughs> yeah. treatment. Right. Like so, the treatment was promised to end the pandemic and to prevent people from getting COVID. But instead of it going like, oh well, I guess that didn't really happen, you know, especially with Omicron and some of these other. Well, shit, that didn't actually work. But instead of it saying like. Well shit, the vaccines didn't work as promised. They're switching it and saying, "Ah, the problem is the people who didn't take the treatment." That's why the treatment it's isn't absolutely working. absolutely crazy. And yeah. it's it's kind of this wild this wild manipulation of logic. Like Yeah. What? And yet
1: people fall you for know, it. How does right? that make sense? And yet sense. most people fall for it. They want to be on the right side of history, I think. They they just fall for it out of out of want after conformity. They want to conform, they want to be on the right side of of power. Um, some of them are naive, I guess, some of them are opportunistic, but I, I've also questioned myself, why do people go along with all this when it's so blatantly obvious that there are so many contradictions in the official line that we should at least doubt them, right? But people just go along, most people at mm-hmm. least just go along, and then, then obviously it becomes a question of human nature, I guess, and, um, um, but yeah. I, I find it, I've, I've struggled. Over the last two years, right? You know, I've I've lost friends sure. over this. Um, yeah, I guess been. I guess most yeah, of us have, have. Yeah. So, but at least I've, I've made new friends as well, which is important. And I've been able to express myself. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: yeah. <laughs> so, if we look forward to, if we look forward to, you know, some more optimistic ideas of where this could actually go and what could, you know, what could actually transpire, I think all pre all pressure all pressure creates adaptation right yeah. like we probably wouldn't have changed anything of course we wouldn't have changed anything if everything was working you know like we're not going to change anything in 2015 when things are still working mm. s- as far mm. as everybody can feel well shit it's mm. everything's working or even you know 20 2004 or, you know 1995 or all yeah. of these different points we're like yeah it's fucking still working that's you know we know that we're, we're piling on debt but nonetheless the debt doesn't seem to bother us everything's working but now we have pressure and more pressure could be coming. And, and the prayer is obviously for as smooth a transition as possible. But it seems like the system itself is not going to be able to sustain itself in the way that we know it. So a new system needs to emerge. And we started talking about this, about an alternate, an alternate parallel structure that potentially is already in its infancy right. of forming and potentially could involve cryptocurrency as one way, which is by its by its very nature at least we believe we believe it is decentralized right so it's decentralized so it doesn't have it's not subject to the same kind of fed manipulation there's a fixed amount of bitcoin for example and if people move into an alternate structure of using that as a currency yeah it's not going to solve everything we're not saying crypto is the solution for everything but it's just an interesting it's an interesting facet of what's at the same time as all of this other stuff it's also developing in parallel it's almost like the solution in its infancy potentially is developing at the same time by by the by grace right by grace at the same time a potential the kernel of a solution is appearing at the same time that the pressure is being you know is being applied to the structure as it as it stands and so it's interesting that those two things have coincided and really speaks to potentially even the intelligence of of the universe in a way it's like all right this thing needs to change a lot of pressure on this side of the game and a lot of things that if you look carefully you can see through and then some potential opportunity on the other side
1: you know i think the contradiction basically cannot be hidden any longer right there's there's a negativity in the system that is emerging and is creating suffering it's creating a lot of a lot of suffering for a lot of people, and people, and people, despite despite the emergency tactic, this, despite the emergency strategies, right? The fact that there's been the pandemic, etc. People are realizing that the system is kind of breaking at the seams. You know, that something is not functioning any longer. The contradiction is you cannot contain it anymore. I think we, we're coming slowly to the to the end of this form of life, that that was capitalist modernity, right? I think we're coming to the end of it. It's kind of dying out by itself, not because of external forces, but it's reaching the internal limit of its expansion. You know, even in terms of, you know, you can think of of expansion in terms of imperialism, you know, where else can we go? We've already kind of conquered the whole world, right? The, the, in the sense that we've commodified the whole world. There's, there's nowhere else to go unless we go on Mars or something, you know, with another planet trying to do something else there.
0: But we've reached the yeah, limit. And, and a lot of other a lot of other strat a lot of other strategies that we've used, including the military industrial right. complex, war itself. War, war is a is a very powerful economic engine where you're creating things with the real economy, creating bullets and bombs yeah. and guns and mobilizing troops and travelling this way and that way consuming fuel and doing all of these different things moving troops this way building airplanes all of this stuff and then those airplanes explode and the and the bombs explode and these things explode and then so that wealth evaporates and then you create more and then people are being employed and then pe- it's but it's of course as toxic it's as to, toxic as today, structure.
1: especially with the kind of weapons with the kind of weapons that we have right it would be
0: totally self-destructive yeah it's all it's yeah. all death it's all death. And so this, this, the way that that has supported the economy- No longer viable. That no can't, longer that viable. That can't be sustainable either. No longer either. viable. No.
1: There's, there's the external limit, of course, of the, of the planet as well, right? It's, it's the, 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 the real issue of you know, climate emergency, which is the external limit. But to me, the most interesting one is the internal limit, the, creation, the wealth creation, right? It's, it's reached the internal limit, and we don't know how to do it with it anymore. We don't have a plan. We don't have a policy to deal with that. You know, we tried with a, with a Keynesian policy of state spending that didn't work. It worked up until the mid-70s, and then it turned into stagflation, so stagnant economy with inflation. Then we went into the neoliberal route, you know, with the potentiation of the financial sector. But that today is clearly imploding too. We don't really have an alternative to that. So we need to think of a, of a completely different set of, of values a completely different system we think of a we need to think of a systemic change really that's the only way that can save and i think will save us eventually because as you said things move before we even realize things change even inside us right in our in our desires in the way we think and, and we hope etc before we become consciously aware of it And I think that's the great sort of resilience of humanity that it can change. It can can turn the contradiction, which will never be fully eliminated because we are contradictory. Human beings are contradictory, right, by definition. But Mm -hmm. when a contradiction becomes so destructive like it is today, it needs to be um, employed or, or redefined within a different system of values where it's less destructive, where it's more sustainable. And I think that, is, that is, is the next step that will need to take place at some point, where we live our lives differently, and we, and, and we subject the categories uh, of, of our current way of living to some kind of radical criticism, you know? And we think, okay, we cannot live with them any longer, and we reject them, and we embrace new, new categories, new values new set a new language even right a new language of a new way of interacting with each other a new way of un- of understanding the social bond the social link a yeah. new way of understanding community a new a new way of understanding money perhaps or whatever we have in, instead you mentioned you mentioned uh, cryptocurrencies maybe they could be adapted to a different kind of socialization at the moment they don't seem to and mm-hmm. and to me at least they, they 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 seem to have still very you know problems that are related to the capitalist system. They're not really related to the, to the to value production. They're more in terms of, you know, kind of on, on the circulation level. Um, but nevertheless, it's an opening. It's a way of thinking about, you know, for example, taking into consideration the fact that fiat currencies are dying, you know, slowly but, but surely. They are devaluing themselves. So we need, to, we need to think of a different way of organizing life um, a different social system, a different different form of alienation, right? As well. Alienation is not just a bad word, you know, we we are all, insofar as we're human, we are somewhat alienated. But we need to make that sustainable and and, and we need to sustain it in, in terms of, of of common living, of, of communities, etc. And and I'm sure yeah. that 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 is um, will take place. Um, because the only other the only other outcome is destruction. You know, there's, there's no, it's slavery. It's mass slavery. It's the totalization yeah. of slavery. It's the totalization of a, of a tyrannical system. And I don't think that we will, I don't think we will allow that to take place, right? I, I don't think humans will
0: allow that to yeah. take place. Um, no, especially not, you know, what's also coinciding is a revolution of right. consciousness, you know, and it's the, the evolution of consciousness through mediated in some cases through the psychedelic renaissance and this, this you know, revolution of ways that people can access higher states of consciousness, greater levels of interconnectivity, of recognizing that you are not so different from that tree, not so different from that person, not so different than, and not separate from the entire collective. And these different ways of thinking about the world are coming online at the same time that the economic system that's built on an older consciousness and older ideas, and then reaching its log- logical conclusion, it's all happening together. And so what you could imagine is a world in which instead of money mediating relationships, community starts to actually work to right. support each other yeah. and and maybe on a small scale first, but instead of your neighbor just blocked off by the walls and the and all the mediations of everything else, you start to actually form you know real yeah. communities and more of like a gift economy where you're actually exchanging and and using using a decentralized currency to actually help you so you don't have to bring you know one person doesn't have to bring over steaks and the other person doesn't have to bring over milk right. and that's all all very difficult to do you can use you can still use currency but just changing the attitudes around it and then as labor dries up as labor dries up because automation is taking care of things then reimagining the contribution of art and again i think burning man is a great example of this because in burning man it's just a microcosm there is no currency that's a, that's available and people just give each other things. It works out. The playa provides. And then the contribution often is art. It's art installations. It's small amounts of art. It's your costume is art. It's kindness. And all of these ways in which you supporting somebody else then becomes built in to the monetary system of exchange. And actually, there's a there's a structure uh, that's being built on cryptocurrency platforms called Zion in which actual... Comments and the ways that people like put out ideas is then rewarded with with sats with with small amounts of bitcoin and then there's an exchange of currency which is actually carrying the information so it's censorship resistant but also rewarding just simple interactions so you could potentially make a living just supporting people who are struggling on this on this social network on this platform or contributing art and you post your art or you post a podcast you post some ideas a video you know an article and all of a sudden people say yeah yeah i really like that that was great that was that added value that added value to the to the commons it added value to the commons and because it added value to the commons and value to me let me support you in this way and mediating it in the, in a just a whole different psychology of how we interact with each other and support each other and naturally then those people with of course, those people with those things that are dragging society down, putting out negative information, all spreading hate, all of this, they obviously wouldn't be benefiting the commons, and so they wouldn't be rewarded and supported. So this whole, it seems like this economic revolution and the consciousness revolution must inherently work kind of hand in hand to create this whole new economic right. system. You know, what you said earlier about kind of the necessity of us
1: sort of experiencing this Um, kind of negative trajectory that we're experiencing now. It's absolutely fundamental because if we didn't, we wouldn't even think about changing it, right? So we need the kind of shock, the trauma, if you like, even, right? We can talk even about the trauma, the trauma of a system that is imploding, a form of life that is not working any longer. Only if if we see that can we change you know, our consciousness, as we say, as you said, right, and create a different system. Like, I, here, of course, there's a, the point, I think, to be made is that there's always a little bit of a, of a disparity between the theory and the practice, right? The theory, never, the theory can never fully work in terms of delineating, you know, the practical aspects because it doesn't work like that. But you need a bit of theory in order to support some practical solutions, maybe social movements, right? Some kind of social movements that go in different directions that then will form themselves through their own experiences um, in terms of creating a different system. So the theory is, 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 for me, fundamentally a critical theory of what's going on at the moment and the categories of the present that opens up the space for different practices that need to be tried, need to be tested, and, you know, they, they need to work um, by creating new, a new set of values fundamentally, right? So, but this, this is where, um, you know, it's difficult to say what, but I think, yes, there will need to be. I think the important thing is that it doesn't become the self-management of poverty, right? That, that is certainly it's not, not what we want. We don't want the self-management of poverty, like people living in some kind of poverty situations outside, outside the, the big system. I think there needs to be some sort of appropriation of resources. There needs to be uh, a way of of making time for different activities that are not related anymore to work, because work will be taken over by machines more and more. So we have this great opportunity to make more of our lives, right? Not subjecting our lives to the routine of alienating sort of bullshit jobs, because the majority of the jobs we have are bullshit jobs, right? People today, anyway. They don't want to do them. They have to do them because they have to pay the bills, etc. But they hate them. So machines are going to take over in that respect. There needs to be some kind of socialization of production in that respect. But also the freeing of time, the freeing of space to do other things, art, play, Leisure. There's many things that we can do with that time that we couldn't do before in a work society because the work society is driven by work and by profit making and by all those categories that we discussed. Now all of a sudden there will be something else. And that is quite shocking and quite new and quite traumatic, I guess, for most people who are used to live, you know, populations who are used to living. But but again, those conditions, the conditions we are still familiar with are, are kind of dying by themselves. So we'll have to, by necessity almost, come up with a different plan, a plan B. The problem with those who are driving our economy today is that they they can't even think of a plan B. They don't even want to think of a plan B. They think the plan B is not even possible. It's out of the question. So they continue with the same routine, with the same uh, logic that is driving us down, right? That is driving us to collapse. And I think that's what, Happened, actually, to most civilization, When they were in crisis, they continued with the very logic that brought the... They just doubled down, doubled down, doubled down. They couldn't think of, okay, we need to pull the brakes here. The gravy train is has no gravy left you know for us anymore we need to pull the brakes and get off
0: yeah we can't conquer any more germanic people we can't conquer any more gauls we can't we've stretched our we've stretched our empire as far as it will go it will no longer reach and there's corruption on the inside that and then ultimately instead of saying like look we gotta we gotta change everything pull the borders in let the people rule themselves outside here take care tend our own garden yeah you know weed our own garden take care of all of these things and then create a new system system, create a new social bond
1: and, and redefine completely, radically, the concepts, the categories that we have today, including the state, you know, because the state is just it's it's not what we think it is, right? Most of the time. It's not at all. It, yeah. It's it's becoming an oppressive category in the hands of the black rock of that we discussed before, of the big of the big power.
0: It's it's like So all things, things need to change. All things including including democ- including democracy, including, including democracy. economics, including conscious including consciousness, including that that what we value is valuable. you know and I think that that idea that play is inherently valuable, you know and so in some way in which play, In a productive way is rewarded i think of like rec leagues and basketball leagues and ways in which people are playing and all of a sudden there's energy of actually like oh this is your this is your contribution you're showing up to this pickup (laughs) basketball game so that nine other people at the same time can play basketball and experience something that's meaningful you know, like that, that has inherent value that has value to the people playing. It has value to those who get out that energy and then come back to their families. And it has, there's value there, you know, and instead, but we're not, but we're not actually thinking of that, like, oh yeah, even though that's just basketball, there's like, there's some value there. And there's some value in, in all of these different other fields that need to come into our consciousness and then somehow be woven into our economics. And then also the, the sovereignty of the individual being rewarded and encouraged and nourished so that we can actually make policy yeah. decisions about right. who our leaders are and have emergent leaders that actually represent yeah. this new consciousness. And that doesn't mean that
1: work will be completely eliminated. Of course we will have to, we will have of to work not. one way or another, but, but less, much, much less than, you know, we've been working so far and we can therefore devote our lives to, to our other activities, you know? Um, and, and so, yeah, I think we, this is the only way out. You know, Re- reinventing the system quite radically. I think that's the only way. The, the system cannot be mended anymore. That's that's the fundamental point. It cannot be adjusted. Mm-hmm. The, you know, the refor- reformist approach is now exhausted itself. Right? There's no way of reforming the system any longer. It will need. It will come to to the point where we will realize that there's no nothing else we can do apart from. Uh, reconfiguring it, you know, quite radically from 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 starting from mm. each and every category, each and every value that today think it's almost natural, you know, but it's not.
0: It's it's yeah. yeah. So what can what do you think people can what do you think people can do? You know, if people are looking at this and they're saying, "Oh shit," you know, the old system is not working, you know, and 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 what do what do we do besides just spreading ideas and spreading consciousness and spreading awareness and 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 loving people through this process is there anything that you can see that people can do with their own assets with their own mind and i think it's it's very it's very easy to slip into this again more solipsism let me get my own bunker set up and let me point guns at anybody who wants to come into my bunker but fundamentally no one wants to shoot anybody that's hungry no no. you know like what world is that are you really someone's hungry and you're like you can't come in they're like please just i Give me some mm. of your beef jerky, like yeah. I'm gonna die. Like, what is the idea that you're just gonna leave them out there and watch them on your fucking webcam, watch them die slowly? No, you're gonna give them water and give them food of because course. we no, love that... each other fundamentally. So that that strategy is not gonna not gonna really work. There needs to begin either. to be new forms of solidarity,
1: including mutual aid, in, in you know, relating to food, relating to uh, money, to you know, whatever we we have. There has to be new forms of solidarity. The the kickstart, you know, the trigger the new system, which which is will be as complex as the previous one, and will be based on some categories that we have to internalize in our unconscious, right, and, and, and think of as natural. They need to be built into us, into humans, because that's, that, that's how societies work, right? It, it's never fully transparent. There's always a degree of opacity in the social link that we can't really understand, mm-hmm. but it works, right? Um, so, and it takes... It takes a while. It will take a while, but I think people need to keep an open mind, right, to others. To you know, precisely in this, in this sense of, you know, I can see social movements growing in that respect, right? First, maybe nationally, first locally, and then internationally, and then everywhere. But they will need to connect, network, uh, in the name of new forms of solidarity based on different categories from the ones we have now. And I think it will inevitably happen. I'm quite optimistic in that respect. So there's a sense of pessimism in relation to this system. This system is not going to be mended. But there's optimism insofar as I think humans will always come up with some creative solution um, that will drive yeah. th- the way they live together. No, it, it, individualism is not the solution. You cannot live on your own. It, you know, you're a social animal by definition. You need others. Others are what make you, yeah. make you who you are, right? This is the fundamental sort of discursive law about any social bond. You become yourself because you inherit stuff from others, you know, whether from your culture or from the others around you, your parents in the first place, but also you, you know, your peers, your family. You are what they are in a sense, and then you create yourself out of that influence. So mm. you got, you got to start from there
0: realizing that that's the only starting point um yeah it's you know it's happening in, in interesting ways it's just happening through a, a system that's flawed i mean the the black lives matter you know kind of revolution that happened in 2020 as well massive outpourings of support and of course there's challenges to how that organization utilized right. the resources and there's some issues with how it all played out but the impetus is beautiful yeah. people caring People really caring and wanting to support something that mattered to them, you know, mattered to caring for, caring for a part of, you know, a disenfranchised part of the population and, a, and a this systemic is injustice, people really caring. So that wasn't, that was like a, a noble, beautiful thing and it's, but it still didn't quite hit the ground in the way and it was still navigated and manipulated in ways. And so it wasn't a perfect execution, but the idea yeah. was beautiful. You know, and same with the same with right. the trucker convoys, right? Like a bunch of money pours in to support the truckers for standing standing up against these kind of tyrannical mandates that they're saying, "No, you can't impose you can't impose this." And then people donating a bunch of money, but of course, that system was flawed because that money got frozen, you know, and then prevented from actually reaching. So then new systems emerged like, okay, you donate this way. We promise yeah. it's going to get to the it's going to get to the truck as this new a new system emerges as the old system tries to choke up and stick you know state it state and also even
1: more than that because you know the old system tries to manipulate populations to do certain things, but precisely from that manipulation something good can come, insofar as those people once they're mm. together they can realize that they can go against the very people who've, who've you know manipulated them I mean, into believing the same thing, so it, things can happen. You know, and things can be uncontrollable. I, I don't believe that those who are in power today, those who really kind of, we, we, we could regard as the puppeteers of, of the show, uh, that, that they can ever establish a form of totality, of, to, of total control over people. Because things will go wrong, by definition, you know, for those who are in power too. They cannot, mm-hmm. they cannot control absolutely everything. Very often, what they think they are controlling will revolt against them. You know, very, you know, this is bound yeah. to happen, because the contradiction operates you know, precisely in that way, too. Um, and that's how it is useful to have a contradiction, because it means that you cannot totalize a field. You cannot totalize a field completely. There's always something that escapes escapes your attempt at totalization. And to me, I, you know, I'm very interested in psychoanalysis, for example, I believe that there is an unconscious, and I think the unconscious is the fo- is the contradiction that prevents things from working. Right, the mm. unconscious is precisely what makes you say something that you don't want to say, but then all of a sudden, what you said has more meaning than what you thought, you know, you you, you were going to have. In, in, in. So, um, I think it's it's a fundamental issue that we need to keep in mind that 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 shouldn't sort of drive us down. It shouldn't be made to. make us too um, too negative and too pessimistic because in that very attempt at totalizing, there's the solution. There's something will go wrong and will create the possibility and another set of conditions, you know, outside that attempt of totalization.
0: And it's it's also very good for the individual psychology because we could freeze in our oh, own yeah. absolute fear. Yeah. It's all ruining, the world's coming down, the sky is falling, and then all of a sudden we get locked in our own. Fear, fear. is the and worst as fear thing. being a constrictive agent. It's yeah, it's gonna limit our creativity, limit our ability to actually make decisions that make sense. Everybody knows you make yeah. horrible decisions when you're afraid. So, you know, like instead thinking like, All right, there's a lot of pressure and there's gonna be a lot of challenges that come, but I believe in people. I believe yeah. in myself. I believe in my ability to help navigate and steward this new this new consciousness that's emerging these new systems that are emerging just have have a little trust you know have a little trust in humanity I mean we've gone through all kinds of crazy shit volcanic eruptions and floods and ice ages and we didn't even have technology and tools we just put on as much fur as we could and walked hopefully towards some place yeah. that was a little bit fucking warmer cuz our toes were freezing off and we figured it out you know like one way or another like human beings we're tough and we're resilient and we're strong and when pressed down to the last bit you know there's something that emerges Surely. there's something that emerges from us and and that's that's the beautiful part about us is that there's something strong and heroic you cannot and beautiful control. At, yeah, I really believe at the core of all they cannot humans.
1: be controlled from above, right? And I think that's what pissed me off the most about the use of fear in all this. You know, they really have instilled fear into sort of large, you know, parts of the population, and that's that's terrible. You know, the the fact in which it, uh, that's the worst bit yeah. of it. Um, but anyway, that's. Uh, I think we sh- we we should be optimistic, despite the, maybe precisely because things are going belly up you know we should kind of be optimistic that something new can come a new discourse a new uh, yeah. set of values can emerge from this
0: yeah and i guess that's you know my again just to reiterate my final message like think of all the times anybody listening think of all the times that you've had a challenge that you couldn't figure out you just couldn't figure out how you were going to deal with this maybe you lost your job or maybe things didn't work out i have i've had i can have countless examples of these moments where it felt like i have no idea what what i'm going to do this is there's no way out of this thing and then the pressure stays and then you get Mm. creative and you get innovative and then you get inspired and then you move forward in spite of the difficulty and then all of a sudden the solution which wasn't available to you now was available for you just sticking the path and sticking it out and holding faith and then all of a sudden this new branch of possibility opens up and then you know you move your energy to that and and so i think it's as much about just just trusting each other and trusting ourselves in this time and and being curious what's going to happen we don't know what's going to happen these are some dangers let's be mindful of the dangers and let's let's try to steer this entire ship which we're all a part of we're all we all have an oar on the collective boat of humanity and we all we all have the opportunity to steer it but if we're steering against each other you know the boats. That's the right. boats going to sink. You know we got it. We got to continue to move in a in a positive way. You've said it. Um, yeah, there's n- not much more that I can uh, that I can add. I think we've
1: we've said it all. And um, yeah, I appreciate the opportunity you've given me to talk about this. I really do.
0: Of course, of course, I appreciate all the work that you've you've put out. So so many of your articles, which are brilliantly written, are on the Philosophical Salon. So I'll offer those notes and I'll give the exact links in the show notes. And I encourage people to, to take a look and read, I mean, timelines of how all of the financial pieces have worked all the way from the beginning, the challenges that you've talked about through these different industrial revolutions, through all of the ways that it's played out in the last three years. And there's a lot of really potent information there, ideas that extend, you know, you're a philosopher by nature. So it extends even beyond economics but into psychology and into so many different areas that we've touched on a little bit but it was just a real pleasure to to read your work and uh, and be aware of some of the things that you know I was personally just blind to. you know you can get very myopic in what you look at and I think what you've done is just said, no let's continue to look deeper, deeper, deeper deeper, deeper all the way back to that source, the source point, which is the right, entity of right, money itself. Right. you know let's look, all the way back into the into the core of the system and then try to make sense of everything right. from the full. It's, it's a rabbit
1: hole, you know, and you have to go down and down and you're driven by your curiosity. And sometimes it's painful and frustrating, but it's it's worth doing it, you know? And uh the the, the deep dive you take, I think, um is is very rewarding in the end. Um even if you it's it's a bit painful yeah. sometimes. And uh but still, that's that's you know it's something that you do because because you do it because you cannot not do it in a sense, right? You, once you drip, once you kind of hooked into that sort of, um, it becomes a kind of addiction. And um, I I didn't know much either, right? But but COVID made me so curious about all this because I just couldn't explain it in another way. This, this was no I I kind of saw it from the yeah. beginning. I mean. I couldn't believe what they were doing. It it was just, this this proportion was huge, right? All these measures that I never implemented before. And I'm asking myself, why are they doing it? And you've got to look into the very, I think, you know, the root cause of our own existence today to understand what is actually going on.
0: Yeah. Indeed. Thank you. Fabio, thank you you so much. It's been a pleasure, my friend. Absolutely. And we'll send, we'll put out all the links so people can... Uh, read more from you and and all that and uh, I look forward to continuing the discussion and dialogue as more things unfold and look forward to reading your next articles whenever they come out and and, uh, get a chance to see through your eyes and your perspective the things that uh, people like me that don't know as much about macroeconomics we had a little call before this just so I could (laughs) get a little grasp on some of these economic concepts because it's a little high level but uh, you did a great job explaining it and wow. hopefully we did so again today on this podcast at least a sufficient job and and uh so once again thank you and um thank you Aubrey. we'll be in touch definitely thank you so much thanks for tuning into this podcast with fabio vigi thanks for having an open mind thanks for loving your neighbor your brother your sister i love you and i'll see you next week